I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Sky News notification there just to uh, make sure that it spoiled the beginning of the podcast. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, should have been on silent for how very professional of me. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you all enjoyed today's victory. A big, big win for the Arsenal and another significant step towards Champions League qualification. A big, big three points that we so desperately needed to open up that gap, that four-point gap between ourselves and Tottenham Hotspur going into this coming Thursday's North London derby. And what a game that's going to be. A game with plenty at stake. A game in which if we win, we can secure Champions League football for next season. Imagine doing it at Tottenham's ground. That would be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? Um, so lots to be positive about, lots to be optimistic about, lots to be excited about. But at the same time, it's a game that because we've opened up this little bit of a gap and this little bit of breathing space, if we do have a bit of a stinker, if we do uh, play below what we know we're capable of, and if we do suffer at Tottenham, all is not lost. We'll still be a point ahead of the team, uh, a point ahead of Tottenham, I beg your pardon. And of course, uh, going into those last couple of games, just have to better their results or match their results. So, um, yeah, there's lots to be optimistic and there's lots to be positive about. Someone said in the chat, hold on a, a second. Um, Harvey says, Harry, will you shave clean if we win the game? Honestly, I was going to, um, I was, uh, my beard needs trimming down. It's gone all wild and crazy. It gets to this point like really, really easily and it needs tidying up. And I thought about doing it this morning and I was superstitious about doing it. So I didn't and I left it and I just decided, no, leave it as it is. Don't touch it. Don't even tidy it up. Don't do anything because it might uh, it might mess us up. I'm really superstitious with stuff like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave it until after the North London derby and we'll see how we go there. So the beard is uh, is very much involved in this top four race. OK, let's go through the team. Let's talk about the game today. Let's discuss the performance of Mikel Arteta's side. And it was interesting because when the team news came out, I think a lot of us assumed that Cedric Suarez was going to slot in at left-back instead of Nuno Tavares. Some of us were talking about uh, the fact that perhaps because of Rafinha's qualities on that uh, right-hand side for Leeds, somebody who clearly likes to cut in field quite a bit, maybe Mikel Arteta felt it better to play a right-footed player there who would be more comfortable when being turned inside. That was what th went through my head immediately. And I've got to be honest, the possibility of Takahiro Tomiyasu playing at left-back never really crossed my mind until I got in the stadium. Once I got in the stadium and I was sort of observing the warm-up for a little bit, and I actually paid a lot of attention to the warm-up today. Now, normally I don't do that. Um, I used to do it when I was a kid. I used to always nag my dad. I used to be like, I want to be in early. I want to watch the warm-up in its entirety from start to finish. As you get older, um, you know, you go to the game, you meet friends, you, you chat outside, you, you have a quick drink in the concourse. And by the time you get out, um, most of the warm-up has been done. But I, I got in there a little bit early today and I paid a lot more attention to the warm-up. And I actually found it really positive and really refreshing because... After that chat that Jonas Eideville and Mikel Arteta had on that little video where they were talking about sort of how other teams observe your warm-up, how you observe theirs, uh, the need for the to, to study the details in games, the need to make sure that you're aware of what your opponent brings. 
I, I, I saw a very, very clear, um, you know, picture of what we were going to see on the pitch once the game started. So there was an exercise going on in the middle of the pitch, which was the back four as they were going to line up. Cedric holding Gabriel and Tomiyasu sort of stepping forward as one, dropping deep as one in order to try and develop that sort of cohesion and develop that relationship between them because they were going to need to be compact at times. They were going to need to be a little bit more expansive at times during the game. And so for me to to sort of watch that and see Tomiyasu playing at left back, well, immediately I thought, OK, well, that's what he's doing. That's what he's decided. And there has been a lot of talk about Tommy Asu's ability to play with both feet. And then all of a sudden it started to make sense. You know, how could I have not clocked this already? Um, I know it's not a decision, as I say, that Mikel's made before. So I can kind of forgive myself for not predicting it, having just seen the team sheet. But once we got in the ground, it was very clear that that was going to be the case. So that was a big decision from Mikel Arteta. One that um, was a little bit risky because you had you know, already two of our first choice back four missing from the side. Ben White, of course, wasn't available today. Mikel Arteta said in his post-match press conference that he's hopeful that he'll be okay for the North London derby. But when you looked at that, um, you know, you, you were a little bit worried. You were a little bit concerned because of the fact simply that we've got, as I say, two of the first choice back four missing. And therefore, why would you want to unsettle it more by putting someone who's normally so competent and so effective at right back on the left-hand side. And, um, and and I thought there were there were impacts of that in the game. So I understand why we did it. I get why we did it, but I thought there were some impacts. So I thought that it made Gabriel Martinelli um, a lot more comfortable knowing that he had a solid defender in Takahiro Tomiyasu behind him. It allowed him to play more like the way he wants to play, which is not as a left winger, but as a left forward, someone who's got complete license to drift out wide and to do whatever he wants to do on the ball, off the ball, get into the right positions, be brave, be bold, take people on, get to the byline as often as possible without really worrying about tucking in in a defensive shape. And having the solidarity that uh, Tomiyasu provides there behind him, I thought really pushed Martinelli on. And I think that actually... You know, we've seen Martinelli suffer a little bit with Tavares in the team because he's kind of got stuck in two minds. He's had to come back a lot more. He's had to be a lot more defensive minded. And today you really saw him thrive as a result of having a solid defender behind him. On the other side, though, by, you know, by contrast, I actually thought that Bukayo Saka was a little bit quiet. And I thought he was a little bit quiet because he had, um, you know, because he had, Cedric behind him, who's actually done okay recently. He's actually done uh, okay of late, but he isn't at the same level. And you could quite clearly see the difference, right, on the two sides. You could see a Bukayo Saka who was a little bit reluctant to, to commit himself totally going forward. A Bukayo Saka who was having to do a lot of work tracking back um, at various points in the game. There were points in the game where Arsenal were completely dominant, but you could always see that it was on his mind and how you could see that Bukayo Saka was doing that role and was more mindful defensively than, you know, Martinelli had to be on the other side was when Nicolas Pepe came on. And we'll come on to talk about him in a minute. But you could see very clearly that when Pepe came on, we struggled a little bit and Cedric struggled a little bit and clearly didn't have the same level of protection. So I think that was worth noting. You move into the midfield, Jacka, El Nenny, very, very solid again today, I thought. 
Um, Granite Xhaka sort of threatened to get involved in a couple of niggly bits uh, with some of the Leeds players. There was a, a deliberate foul on him by Click in the first half. Uh, there was a situation with Dan James as well. I can understand why he reacted. But inside the stadium at the time, you're kind of thinking, chill out, calm down. At this point, with this game state, there's no need for you to go too big on this. There's no need for you to get sucked into this. This is exactly what Leeds want. And if you remember, they kind of extracted that from Nicolas Pepe, didn't they? Um, at um, at um, the Ellen Road. Had to think what their name was, uh, what the name of the stadium was again. Um, Ikene says, uh, Harry, your analysis about Sacco isn't totally correct. Simply put, Saka was a little poor. Don't blame it on Cedric. No, I, I'm not blaming Saka's ineffectiveness when he did get into the final third, which he was at times today, on Cedric. I'm simply saying that Saka has a lot more defensive responsibility with Cedric behind him than Martinelli did on the left with Tommy Yasu behind him. That's the point. Uh, that doesn't sort of excuse anybody for an underpar performance with the ball at their feet. We're talking positionally here. We're talking about what their responsibilities are. Um, based on the players that they had around them today. I thought Martin Odegaard had a really good game today, pulling strings again, looked brilliant, some fantastic touches, some beautiful moments. Uh, Saka, a little bit underwhelming, but he's had such an incredible season and he just looks like he's running on empty for me. Uh, so I can understand why he was taken off when he was. On the left, I thought Martinelli had a superb game today. I really did. I went to the West Ham game last weekend and came away thinking that he was just just not quite at it, that he was a little bit off the boil that day, that his touch was letting him down, that he wasn't maybe as brave in possession, maybe confidence was lacking a little bit. But today he picked up the ball. He took people on at every opportunity. He was direct. He was impactful. He was powerful. And he caused Leeds United all sorts of problems from the very, very beginning. So thoroughly enjoyed his performance. And Eddie and Ketia. Well, what can I say? You know, I've been a big, big critic of Eddie Nketiah's. I've repeatedly said that he's not Arsenal level. I've repeatedly said that we shouldn't even be offering him a new contract, that we should be cutting our losses, letting him go in the summer with a view to bringing in more people, um, you know, or, or another striker at the level that we need today and not sort of sit around hoping and waiting for someone to get to where we want them to be. There's no guarantee with potential because it's not, you know, it's not automatically fulfilled. So I've always been quite critical of Eddie Nketiah. And at times, even when Lacazette was playing incredibly poorly and not contributing anything and, you know, really letting us down in front of goal, my mindset for a long period was, well, he has to play. And why does he have to play? Because Eddie Nketiah is not good enough. Eddie Nketiah is not somebody that I would trust ahead of Alexander Lacazette. But I have to eat some humble pie. And this is the third, fourth week in a row now that I've been saying this. Eddie Nketiah has stepped up to the plate. Now, that doesn't change my overall view on him. It doesn't change the fact that I see him as a squad player, as a backup player, and someone who still has quite a long way to go. But you can't deny that he's been very, very good. And he's been a big, big sort of boost to the side because he brings you something different to Alexander Lacazette. At West Ham, it was the threat in behind. It was the ability to run channels. It gave us an outlet and it gave us a way of getting up the pitch early. Brilliant. Probably should have scored as well that day. Against, um, against Leeds today, he was just incredibly aggressive. 
in a way that Alexander Lacazette just simply isn't capable of. The way he closed down Ilan Melier, now I know this was a goalkeeping howler, and it really, really was, because over the years, we've seen those types of incidents before. We've seen the ball go back to the goalkeeper. His first touch isn't great. And then in his attempt to clear it, he normally ends up kicking the ball against an on-rushing striker who's thrown his body on the line and it deflects, ricochets, etc. into the back of the net. Great happy days. Great work rate. Great effort. Um, and you manage to block the ball moving up the pitch. This was so good from Eddie. This was so aggressive from Eddie. He was so quick across the ground that Ilan Melier doesn't even get to clear it. Ilan Melier's touch, which was a little bit heavy, which was a little bit poor, and the, the hesitation that he showed in, in dealing with that situation gave Eddie and Ketia just that sniff he needed to get there and actually pass the ball into the back of the net. Like, it was such good forward play. And that's a goal that you don't get from Alexander Lacazette. Now, he tries. He does close people down. It's not from a lack of effort. But he's not that quick and he's not that sharp and he's not that rapid across the ground. Eddie Nketiah today was. And that really set the tone for Arsenal in the early stages of the game. You go into a game that you know has, uh, you know, a lot of meaning for both sides. Leeds United down at the bottom of the table in serious trouble now as well because of Everton's victory too. But you look at that and you go, this is a big game for both sides. There's a good chance that our nerves impact us and that their nerves impact them and their fear of losing the game impacts them. And our fear of dropping points impacts us too. And you end up a lot of the time with a cagey affair. But when you start a game with that kind of energy, with that kind of vibe, with that kind of fire in your belly, what you get is you get the buy-in of the crowd, who were, again, fantastic today. Um, a little bit nervous at various points in the second half, but understandable. But we were right behind the team. The atmosphere within the stadium was was brilliant, leading up to kick off the uh, Angel song, North London Forever, was belted out um, by the crowd as well just before kickoff. Brilliant stuff. Love that. Good atmosphere builder. I think it's going to take a bit of time for it to catch on with everybody and for everybody to learn the lyrics because there was a part where everyone like kind of got a little bit lost and you were looking around and going, what's the next line here? But it, it will grow and it will get better. But then to, to, to lift the atmosphere like that with that song, to get everyone on board and then for Eddie and Ketia to go and set the tone so early and get that goal, break the deadlock, settle the nerves and, and you know, really rock Leeds United was, was what we were looking for. So you have to give Eddie and Ketia immense credit. And for the second goal, again, it's a superb finish. Really, really is because the pass back is slightly behind him. It's on his weaker left foot and he's got to make enough contact, keep it low, try and keep it as far away from Ilan Melier, who's diving across the goal as possible. And he finds the bottom corner. It was superb from Eddie Nketiah. Um, Martinelli as well, though, in the lead up to that goal. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. Um, the way he picked up the ball on the left-hand side, the way he took people on, the way he got to the byline, the way he was bold, the way he was brave, and the way when he got into that position, he didn't just snatch at it. He didn't just react with sort of hasty. He looked up and he took that split second to just process the picture that he was seeing in the penalty area and pick somebody out excellently. And, and you, you know, you're 2-0 up and, and you're flying. Then, of course, there was the sending off, which further damaged Leeds United. It actually changed the game in a way because it meant that Leeds United were going to attack even less. It meant that they were going to sink slightly deeper. It meant a slight change in shape um, and it meant a slight change in formation. It meant a centre-back going out to right-back 
who naturally was always going to tuck in that little bit more. And then that, as a knock-on effect, I felt gave um, Martinelli a little bit more space on that left-hand side, particularly in the first half. Um, but, you know, just just going back to that sending off and just going back to that challenge, astonishing that the referee in real time has decided that that is only a yellow card. I mean, I was at the complete other end of the stadium, admittedly, but you could see the way that Ailing sort of launched into that challenge. You could see that that was dangerous. You could see that that was reckless. You could see it was endangering an opponent. And you could see that that had the potential to be a leg breaker. Now, I think Martinelli did a very good job of anticipating it and getting out of the way as best as he could to avoid serious injury. But his leg could have been snapped there. It is a, a horrible, shocking challenge. And I was livid when the referee came over and showed him a yellow card. Then, of course, um, the VAR intervened and the VAR uh, sort of obviously sort of said to the referee, you know, you should probably go have a look at this. You should probably review this and make a decision. We think this is probably a red card. Go and check it out. And you see the referee make his way over to the screen on the side of the pitch. And again, I really enjoyed and you might not have seen this on the television. I don't know what pictures were shown, but you see. Mikel Arteta, again, lurking behind the referee as he approaches the screen to watch it. You see a number of players off of the Arsenal bench getting up and trying to be intimidating. The crowd being intimidating. The crowd really applying pressure on all the officials to make sure that we got the decision that was the correct decision, but also the one that we wanted. And there was a little bit of an altercation between Alexander Lacazette and one of the Leeds United coaching staff because Lacazette, who has been criticised a lot recently and has uh, obviously faded a little bit in terms of what he brings to the side. But we always hear about his importance off the pitch. We always hear about his importance behind the scenes. And I think this was a really good example of it today because Lacazette gets up, walks over and begins applying pressure himself too. And the referee comes over and he watches it and he watches it and he watches it. And look, I don't think any referee, you know, worth his name would would make a different decision to the one that was eventually uh, reached. But, um, you know, he, he walks back onto the pitch and he, he books Rafinha, who got on his face uh, and, and was complaining about it. And then, of course, sends off Luke Ayling to, to knock Leeds down even further by sort of reducing them to 10 men. And from then on, we were cruising. And that first half was as dominant an Arsenal display as you've probably seen in years. I don't remember Aaron Ramsdale making a save. Um, I don't remember uh, Aaron Ramsdale having any dangerous moments. I don't remember at any point feeling nervous in that first period. And I remember sort of when the halftime whistle blew thinking, okay, well, if we can um, get a goal early in the second half, then the focus and the attention needs to switch to Thursday. And we need to start looking about looking at who we can take off looking at who we can rest. And there were a number of players that were in my mind. Saka was one of them. I think he's looked a little bit leggy at times in the latter stages of this season and probably could do with a rest. I was looking at Gabriel at centre-back, who was on a yellow card. And I was fearful of the consequences of him mistiming one more challenge and what that could mean moving forward. I was looking at Tommy Asu, somebody who'd been out for a long, long time, was back in the team now, and somebody that I feel that we maybe need to still be a little bit protective of. Um, but that third goal never came. 
And at the start of the second half, I thought Arsenal were very, very controlling. I thought we had all of the ball. I thought we played all of the football. I thought we had a couple of good chances. The ones that really spring to mind were uh, the one missed by Martinelli, where he put it over the bar. And of course, the shot from Martin Odegaard, which was dragged just slightly wide. I thought there were opportunities for Arsenal to um, to put the game to bed and we didn't do it. And unfortunately, we ended up conceding a goal at the other end from a corner. And we've been talking a lot all season about Arsenal's uh, ability to defend far, far more effectively from set pieces. And look, the fact that we did concede from a corner today doesn't take away from the brilliant work uh, that Nicholas Yeover and his team have done because it's nothing short of sensational. But um, obviously, it was a, a goal that came out of the blue. It was a goal that stunned us. It was a goal that really, really lifted leads. And all of a sudden, the nerves started to kick in. Now, for me, this is not, you know, this is not something that is uncommon in football in general. You know, big games, big stakes you're going to get nervous at certain periods. This is the Premier League. It's the most competitive league in world football. You're not going to have it all your own way for 90 minutes very often. And we did have a little bit of a spell where I didn't think Leeds were particularly good and I didn't think Leeds did much to create. But I did think that we were kind of our own worst enemies in that we were a little bit sloppy with the ball. We were a little bit lapsed in our positioning. We weren't as quick uh, reacting with the transitions and and obviously they had a couple of set pieces from which you were really, really nervous. But it's one of those games that when you're watching it and when you're there and when you're sort of going through the emotional roller coaster real time, you're thinking, my God, this is going to kill me. This is going to be the death of me. This is heart attack stuff. This is really, really hard to take. But in a lot of instances, when you watch them back afterwards, you'll think and you'll see that it wasn't actually as nervy as you thought, that Leeds weren't as close to equalising as you thought, that actually Leeds never really did look like equalising. It's an anxiety that comes from the emotions that you feel at the time, as opposed to the level of threat that your opponent is bringing to the table. I felt the same at West Ham. I came away from that game going like, with my head in my hands like, oh my God, how did we get through that? That was torture. And when I watched the game back the next day, I couldn't believe I w why I was so nervous. I couldn't get my head around it. So a lot of the time, you're going to feel like that in the game and you're going to feel like that in the moment and you're going to be able to walk away and then react to the performance and analyse the performance with a much clearer head. And that's why I always like to do like a follow-up show the next day once I've watched the game back because I think in the heat of the moment, when it comes to sort of the emotional side of it, you can get a little bit carried away and that can drive narratives that perhaps don't have any credence. I mean, you look at the stats from the match today, Arsenal 63% of the possession, 19 shots, nine of which were on target in comparison to Leeds' three attempts at goal. We had eight corners in comparison to their two. And you start to think, well, um, you know, we were completely dominant today. And we probably should have scored more. We didn't. Uh, but thankfully, despite conceding, we managed to get over the line. We managed to see the game out and pick up the big, big three points that we so desperately need. So I've run through the team. I've given you my thoughts on some of the individual performances. I've talked about some of the key moments in the game. Um, I think we've got to talk a little bit about Nicolas Pepe who came on to replace Bukayo Saka. And for me, instantly, that dropped our level. And you can understand why people 
don't want to see Nicola Pepe in the side. I, I get the point that some make, which is, well, if he plays regularly, perhaps he'll be a little bit sharper and perhaps he'll offer more to the team and that he's been unfairly treated by Mikel Arteta. But I think when you you take Saka out of the equation and you put Nicolas Pepe in, in a game that is finely balanced in the way that this one was, particularly towards the end, you can start to understand why Nicolas Pepe isn't flavour of the month with Mikel Arteta. I think positionally, he's nowhere near as good. I don't think his defensive instincts are anywhere near as good. I think he's as good, if not a better finisher than Bukayo Saka when it comes to those chances that come on his left foot. But everything else was just lacking and missing. And I'm talking about not just on the ball, but I'm talking about game intelligence. I'm talking about understanding how to see out a match. I'm talking about understanding how to ride a wave of difficulty. He just doesn't have any of that. I thought that situation where the ball sort of um, was cleared away and it came to Nicolas Pepe, Elan Melier had gone up for the Leeds United set piece and was completely out. There, there wasn't a goalkeeper in the goal and he picks up the ball on the halfway line and his first thought is to cut back inside when it should have been just knock the ball and go, 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 go. I'd have rather he had a shot from the halfway line than did what he did. And, and he got a lot of criticism inside the stadium for that particular moment. But he also got criticism from um, from Albert Stoivenberg on the sidelines. You could really see him giving it to him. I think Josh nails it when he says Pepe ain't got IQ. I, I don't want to say that he's got no IQ like as a person. I think that's a bit harsh. And I know that's not what Josh means. What Josh means is footballing IQ. I'm not going to say he's got none of it but he hasn't got as much as Mikel Arteta needs, as much as Mikel Arteta wants. Now, when you listen to Mikel Arteta speak, particularly about the likes of Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, the first thing he always points to is their intelligence on the pitch, their understanding of certain situations, their understanding of where the problems lie and their understanding of how they can potentially exploit opponents. And they're almost like his lieutenants out there on the pitch who are his brains and his eyes and his ears in the middle of the park. And Nicolas Pepe certainly isn't that. And it's not a lack of effort with Pepe because he does get back. When he gets back, though, he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't know what the right decision is to, to make. He doesn't know that he should just clear his lines. It's not the first thing that comes in his head. He can't switch from the Nicolas Pepe that wants to make things happen in the opposition's defensive third to the Nicolas Pepe that's been brought on to give us a fresh pair of legs, to be an outlet for us and to help us see out the game. We just don't get it um, with, with Nicolas Pepe. And I thought that that was, that was very much on display tonight or this afternoon. I beg your pardon. Look, just before we continue, um, we're going to go for about 40 minutes on this episode. We will do the Q&A stuff tomorrow on a much longer episode. Uh, but I've got some work commitments tonight and I need to be um, on a radio show very, very shortly. So I'm not going to be able to go for the full hour. But um, as I say, any questions that you've got, either leave them in the comments after the video ends or um, hold fire on them and ping them over to me tomorrow when we uh, look back on the game in a little bit more detail once I've watched it back as well and pick out some of the tactical bits and, and a couple of particular uh, focuses for us to really look on. But look, let me just uh, take a short pause uh, and then we're going to uh, we're going to take some of your thoughts from the chat box. Okay, don't forget to hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you are new. There's over 400 of you 
watching us live now on this Sunday evening, but we've only got 106 likes on the board. With 400 plus of you watching, there is no reason why we shouldn't at the very least have 200 likes. So come on, smash the like button, smash it, smash it, smash it. Get some questions in and I'll take a few of them uh, before I need to dash. Lots of reaction to the Pepe stuff. Um, Don at Arsenal says, do you think maybe Pepe gets scared to make mistakes because of Arteta? I do think Nicolas Pepe is someone who wants to play and needs to play with, with quite a bit of freedom. Needs to be allowed the, the opportunity to express himself needs to be given the opportunity to go out there and do whatever it is that comes to his mind in the moment. I think a manager like Arsene Wenger would have suited Nicolas Pepe down to a tee, where it was very much go out there, do what you need to do, um, make things happen in the final third. That's your job. That's your responsibility. Um, and, and you know, the, the platform is yours upon which you can do that in any way you see fit. Mikel Arteta's players are much more drilled, are much more um, sort of valuable as part of a system. And and he doesn't really want to venture away from that an awful lot. And Nicolas Pepe impacts the system because he doesn't bring to the table the same things that Bukayo Saka does. He doesn't bring to the table the same qualities. He brings other qualities. And again, this is not me being critical of Nicolas Pepe in terms of his ability. I agree with the Arsenalologist who says Pepe's a wonderfully gifted player. I don't agree when he says that Arteta lacks flexibility, though, to manage certain players. I don't think the manager needs to bend over backwards to fit Nicolas Pepe into a system that's working if Nicolas Pepe can't make himself fit. You know, yes, a manager, to a degree, has a responsibility to mould the players he has into a way where they can help him in the best way possible. But Nicolas Pepe isn't Mikel Arteta's man. You know, and we, we always talk about the £72 million price tag. I can't sort of count how many times we've spoken about that. But you've got to forget that. And Mikel Arteta isn't obliged to play Nicolas Pepe. So he certainly doesn't need to rip up his system or change his system or veer away from what he believes is the best way to make us successful in order to accommodate Nicolas Pepe. It's on Nicolas Pepe to be able to come in and do that job or he'll be moved on. And and I'm at that point today, you know, where I was, you know, the, the last time I watched Nicolas Pepe in the Premier League it was obviously the Wolves game where he came on and really impacted it in a positive way. And that was the good bit of Nicolas Pepe, the good side of Nicolas Pepe. But another not too distant performance that I remember was when he came on as a sub at Aston Villa. And I thought all of the same things that we saw today were on display that day. And again, thankfully, we didn't get punished for it, but it really did impact us. It really did make us nervous. Um, let's take a few more of your comments. Um, Amir says, Harry, people need to hold their hands up and say they were wrong about Mikel. Look, we're guaranteed to finish fifth, which is far higher than most people expected us to finish this season, which means he's overachieved. He's been doing that with Elneny in midfield without Thomas Partey for large periods. He's been doing it without Kieran Tierney at left-back. Um, you know, he's he's been doing it with Eddie and Ketia up front. This guy deserves so much credit, not just for the results, not just for how he's got through these periods. And, and you know, there's still work to be done to get fourth, which for me was, as I said at the start of the season, the absolute maximum we could achieve. There's still a way to go in achieving that. 
But to guarantee fifth place at this point in the season, people always go, oh, you know, but the rest of the teams around us weren't very good. And that's why. That's not giving Mikel Arteta enough credit because it's not just about the performances. It's not just about the system. It's not just about the development of individuals. It's about re-establishing that connection again. And people will say, oh, that's talked about too much. Maybe if you're not there, you don't feel it. I don't know. Um, and that's not to be critical of people that aren't there because a lot of you live in other parts of the world. It isn't easy for you to just get up. And I recognise that those of us that are able to go week in, week out are very lucky and very privileged. We're not more important than the fans that are watching on from the rest of the world. But there will be things that, unless you're at the ground, I don't think you can 100% feel. It's not that you can't see them and you can't understand them, but like the atmospheres that we're getting now, for me, are born from the connection that Mikel Arteta has worked so hard, along with the club and the players, to recreate. You know, it's not, you know, people were saying at the start of the season, oh, the atmosphere is only better at Arsenal because we've all been locked up for the last couple of years because of COVID and now we're back out. Everybody's just a little bit rowdy. Well, you'd have thought the novelty would have worn off a little bit by now and that that would have calmed down a little bit. It is not that. There is a connection. There is a bond developing, forming and growing. And, and the fact that Mikel Arteta was instrumental in making sure that the North London Forever Angel song was played now and not at the end of the season against Everton is another thing that he and his people have done to say, you guys want it. You're the fans. You want it. Let's do it. Let's give it to you. you you've earned that right. You, you want it. Let's do it. You want it. You got it. That's what the attitude is that's coming back from those guys. And that makes you as a fan feel more engaged and more connected. Now, obviously, there'll be some things that the fans will call for that they'll probably just ignore, brush under the carpet, push to one side because they might not feel that that is the right thing to do. But for the most part, if they can let things like that sort of be dictated by the fans, then that does develop and build that connection and that bond. It's really, really important. Um, some people say the song's crap. Listen, if you don't like the song, you don't like the song. Um, it's not a song that I would listen to if I wasn't at the football. It's not a song that I would tune in. Uh, to on my phone. It's not a song that would be on my Spotify playlist. But when the whole stadium was belting it out, it was quite cool and it was really, really nice. Um, let's take just a, one or two more just quickly. Um, come on, hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Where are we at on the likes? 141. Let's try and get up to 200 in the next uh, four or five minutes. Um, lots of you asking me if I think that Pepe's career at Arsenal is over. I've been saying for a while, um, that Nicolas Pepe is probably going to leave in the summer. And I do expect that to be the case. Uh, Michael Carpenter says El Nenny was his man of the match today. He's been superb since Chelsea. Yeah, really, really enjoyed his performance again. It, it's it's just classic Mohamed El Nenny, right? He just does exactly what it says on the tin. Nothing more, nothing less. Very responsible. Um, isn't particularly ambitious in, in what he does with the ball at his feet. But always, always um, gives you his all and gives you a level of solidarity in the midfield. And I actually think having him alongside Xhaka has seen us get the best out of Xhaka in recent weeks as well. Now, of course, when he's with Thomas Partey, he's, he's, he's got a, a top partner next to him. And with Thomas Partey um, alongside him, he has been given that licence to get a little bit further forward and be a little bit more involved in other things. 
But when Thomas Partey was injured and it was Lokonga in or it was Xhaka being moved out to the left, you started to think, well, this decision is not just going to affect, uh, you know, the, the rest of the team. And it's not just, you know, a problem for, um, you know, those in the remainder of the team. It's also a problem for Granit Xhaka, who has been very, very consistent this season. And why do you want to put a player who's already had his fair amount of shit from the fans in a position where he can be criticised, where he can be gotten at? And and actually bringing Elneny in has, has stabilised things there. And it's been brilliant um, to see uh, Xhaka continue to to improve and continue to, de- to uh, deliver consistently. Look, I've got to leave it there because, uh, as I said, got some work commitments this evening. But I will be back tomorrow. Uh, And we'll continue to break down this game. We'll spend a good half an hour on your questions, your thoughts from the live chat. And I look very much forward to it. In the meantime, hit the like button on this video, on this episode. Top four is in our hands. We're in pole position. Let's go to Spurs on Thursday and get the result we need to secure it. Fingers crossed. That'll be brilliant, won't it? We'll be building up to that game throughout the week as well. Lots and lots of content coming your way. Check out my post-match reaction video from inside the stadium as well. It's the last one on the feed if you're on YouTube. And I'll catch you all uh, a little bit later on with some more. Until then, take care. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.